0: The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. For the yoke of their burden, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor you have broken. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. This is the word of the Lord. These powerful words were written by Isaiah 700 years before the coming of our Lord Jesus. And they have greater meaning if we've truly known darkness and have hungered a long time for the light. Let me mention four things for you to think about. Number one, this powerful passage is written out of deep darkness. Isaiah lived through that terrible invasion of the Assyrian armies that encircled the ten northern tribes called Israel, raped, plundered, burned their cities, displaced the people, literally forced marched all those who survived back into Assyria and sent others down south to live in their place. More than 80% of the Israelites simply disappeared from history. They are still called the Ten Lost Tribes of Israel. Isaiah was so sure the same fate would befall the southern tribes called Judah if they did not seriously turn again to their God. How deep is your darkness? Cheryl Rogers lives in a little town down southwest of San Antonio, Texas, She wrote that last Christmas was probably the darkest she had ever known in her life. Her marriage was failing. She felt that she had done everything she could do, and her husband was still leaving. She said it was Christmas Eve and I was all alone, but something drew me to get in my car and drive to the church. I did not want to see anybody with a big smile saying, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. So I remembered a place on the very back pew where I could slip in just after the service had begun and I could slip out just before the benediction. I wouldn't have to speak to anybody. But when I got in the church, there was a woman sitting on that pew. So I sat on the one just in front of it. I sat there with my head down. The service moved along, hymns, carols, scriptures, I knew. And then our preacher said, now let's all greet each other. Oh, no, she said. I knew I was going to get that big smile and the Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I turned to the woman in that back pew, and there was a deeper hurt in her face than in mine. And I said, can I help you? And she said, my son and my daughter-in-law are going through a divorce. That's bad enough, but I'm so afraid she's going to be given custody of my two grandchildren and I may not get to see them again. And she started to cry. But then she wiped her eyes and said, "And, and you? And I said, my husband's leaving. I've done everything I know to do. And he's still leaving. And she reached out her arms and grabbed me, and we hugged each other until we heard the people starting to sing, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. And he did. If you look at the chapter just before the one from which I read, you find these words, I will wait for the I am who I am, who is hiding his face, I will hope in him. Last week I was working hard on this sermon. I had my radio going in the office tuned to a local station was playing all Christmas carols most of them contemporary. I was pacing around the office trying to get this outline together, trying to think what are the most important things people are needing to hear on Christmas Eve. And suddenly I heard a carol I hadn't really heard before. Do you know Stevie Wonder's carol? Someday at Christmas. Never had really listened to the words. It's been sung now, recorded now by lots of different artists. I want you to hear this. Because i had been reading these words, I will wait for the Lord who's hidden his face. I will hope in him. Listen to what Stevie Wonder wrote. Someday at Christmas, men won't be boys playing with bombs like kids play with toys. One warm December, our hearts will see a world where people are free. Someday at Christmas, there'll be no wars when we have learned what Christmas is for. When we've found what life's really worth, there'll be peace on earth. Someday at Christmas, we'll see a land with no hungry children, no empty hand. One happy morning, people will share our world where people care. Someday at Christmas, there'll be no tears. All will be equal, no one with fears. One shining moment, one prayer away from our world today. Someday at Christmas, we will not fail. Take hope because love will prevail. Someday a new world that we can start with hope in every heart. And then this very realistic one, Someday all our dreams will come to be, someday in a world where people are free. Maybe not in time for you and me, but someday at Christmas. Number three, their joy will be like that of the harvest. I read that over and over and I thought, these people don't know about harvest. They don't harvest anymore. When I was a boy, a little boy, I remember harvest. All four of my grandparents were farmers. The Biggses had a little bit more. My mother's people were sharecroppers. And so I was interested in a story that I read just recently, written by Christy Jordan. She lives in a small town down in Alabama. And she said, she asked her grandmother last year, grandmother tell my children what your Christmases were like when you were growing up in the Great Depression in Alabama. And she said, my grandmother looked in the eyes of my children and said, my parents were sharecroppers which means they lived on the edge of somebody else's land and they worked as hard as they could to produce crops, half of which they gave to the landowner. We didn't really go hungry, but the food we ate was the same old stuff, day after day after day. The one thing we almost never had was something sweet, just not much sweet in the diet. When Christmas was getting close, There was no talk about lots of presents. In fact, none at all. I learned later that my mother, all through the year, had been squirreling away little important ingredients for Christmas baking. A little bit of sugar, a few raisins here, a few pecans there, a little bit of ginger. She would tuck us in on Christmas Eve night. My father would have warmed flat irons at the edge of the fireplace, wrap them in towels, and put them in the foot of the bed so you wouldn't freeze when you climbed into a very cold bed. And we would go off to sleep, but the next morning when we woke, wow, did our house smell great. My mother had been baking all night, and she had baked seven cakes. Yep. One chocolate, one vanilla, one with some raisins, one with some pecans, seven, seven. We didn't cut them all at once, no, one each day, from Christmas to New Year's. But she made all seven at one time, so that when we woke up and rushed into the kitchen, we saw that Christmas is about something wonderful, about something abundant as it harvest. Number four. Scholars don't believe Isaiah knew about Mary, Joseph, Jesus, shepherds, wise men that he probably was thinking about a new baby born in the palace, that King Ahaz had been such a miserable king, and now a new baby had been born. Maybe that baby named Hezekiah would be better. And if not Hezekiah, maybe his son. And if not that one, maybe the grandson. And if not that one, maybe the great-grandson. And 700 years later, no king had ever gotten it right, not a single one when Mary birthed Jesus. Not to sit on the throne in Jerusalem as kings before him had done, but to bring the real kingdom of God. Last month, another of our great World War II vets died, Gene Tucker. Just 18 months before I'd had the funeral for his beloved Mary, they had been married 60 years when she died. They both came from the state of Arkansas. When Mary died, Jean was already far along in dementia. His two daughters, their two daughters and son, had to help me make the arrangements. Jean was there, but not remembering very much. And after Mary's service, Two of the children who live in Norman, Oklahoma, decided they needed to move their father closer to them, and so he left Tulsa and went to an assisted living center in Norman. And then I got the call just a month ago. He had died. So the two daughters and son came back to Tulsa, and we sat down to plan gene service as we had planned their mothers just 18 months before. And I was remembering, before they got here, all I knew about Jean and Mary. I had the privilege of being their pastor 26 years. 26 years ago, they joined this church. That following Christmas, as a part of my sermon, I had said I had a Jewish professor in college who had escaped from the Nazis. He and his wife and a small boy, he and his wife, both professors, University of Berlin, Finally, had arrived in this country, were invited to teach at our Methodist college in Shreveport, Louisiana, called Centenary. They were wonderful. I had mentioned that this old professor in our second year German class had said, I don't want ever to hear one of you singing a song that was written in German in English. When you get to Christmas, you have to learn to sing, Oh, Tannenbaum, Oh, Tannenbaum. Vitrois and blater, du grunts nick nur im summerzeit, nein auch im winter, vanish night. O tanenbaum, O tanenbaum, Vitrois and Dyna blater. Oh, and that other one, he said. Stila knocked. Heilige Nacht, schläft, einsam wacht. When the service was over that Christmas Eve, Jean and Mary came up to me and he said, You know, I heard Germans sing it that way. Christmas 1945. The war was over, of course, six months before, but many of us were left in Germany as a part of the occupational forces. I was one of those. Yes, when Gene was graduated from high school in Arkansas, he had gone to Officer's Candidate School and become a part of the United States Army. Even when the war was over and his tour of duty was up after being a part of those occupational forces, he stayed in the Army Reserve for 35 more years, was retired as a lieutenant colonel. But his mother and father were school teachers and that's what he wanted to be. That's what he and Mary were after they completed their education. He ended up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, teaching in Tulsa Independent School District here. All those years, teachers, then Jean, an administrator, a high school principal, who worked very hard in helping integrate the schools of Tulsa to try to help black children have every opportunity that white children were having. When he'd grown up in a small Arkansas town and had seen colored water fountains and white water fountains and colored restrooms and white restrooms, some of you remember, as I do, those terrible days. One year, right at this pulpit, Gene was honored with the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Keep the Dream Alive Award for all the hard work he had done to help integrate the schools of Tulsa. As I met with his daughters and son, it was Ralph, the son, who said, <clears throat> "You know, a couple of weeks ago, I could tell Dad was really failing now and." After I'd eaten dinner, I went over to check on him. I saw him in the assisted living center. I put toothpaste on his brush and told him it was time to brush his teeth. And he brushed his teeth. I reminded him to rinse, and he did. I stepped out of the bathroom, Ralph said, to go and turn down his covers for him to go to bed, and I heard him singing. In this severe dementia, he was singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Did he <laughs> said a couple of nights later, same experience, but this time after he brushed his teeth and rinsed his mouth, I was turning down his covers and I heard him singing, Stiel nacht, Heilig anacht, all is ein and it ends schlof in heimlischer ruhe schlof in heimlischer